Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Relentless Sermon Series, which walks through the book of Judges and sees how God is constantly pursuing His people. We hope this episode will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. This morning we're coming and we're going to be right at the end of uh, our series in the book of Judges. And I don't know about you, but it's kind of, uh, kind of sad to me that we're at, the, at this point uh, because this series, I, I hope it's been as helpful to you and as, as encouraging to you as it has been to me. I've been noticing just in my own walk with the Lord uh, how helpful studying out this passage is and uh, the book of Judges. How many of you be honest today, uh, you would be like me and you would say that when you first started reading Judges, maybe it was years ago or maybe it was just at this series, that it was a confusing book. How many of you like that? I am that way. Listen, I open the book of Judges, and there are so many um, questions. But really, when we get down to it, the book of Judges is such a powerful book about the relentless pursuing God that we have. If you haven't been here for our series, let me catch everybody up to speed where we're at and what's taking place. The book of Judges is written about the nation of Israel. It's really a history book on where they were at when they came into what we call the promised land. The promised land was the land, uh, the nation, the area of Israel now and the land around it that God had promised to Abraham and to his seed, which would become uh, the Jewish people. God had promised that land to them, and God said, I'm going to bring you into this land, and I'm going to bring you here for the purpose of you and I having a relationship, of finding you finding fulfillment in me. You see, what God wanted to do is he wanted to bring the children of Israel to the promised land so that he could show the world how great he was by the them having a great proactive relationship with him, by them being uh, uh, um, finding fulfillment in him and completion in him. And the truth is this today, that that's God's purpose in your life and mine, that we would find fulfillment and completion only in him. But the sad thing is that we often look for fulfill, fulfillment and completion in other areas. Well, the same was true in the nation of Israel. When God brought them into the promised land, he gave them two instructions. Number one, when you get in the promised land, you need to drive out or destroy the my enemies that are there. Number two, when you get in the promised land, don't forget to teach the next generation who I am and what I've done for you. Well, when the children of Israel got into the, uh, the promised land, what you find taking place is that they failed to drive out or destroy all the inhabitants. Oh, they took care of some of them, but Judges chapter number one lists for us a number of groups of people, all of the Ites and the Philistines. Remember the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and all the Ites and the Philistines. They, they conquered parts of the groups, parts of the enemies of God, but not entirely. That was the first area they failed God in. Second area they failed God in is they stop short of teaching their children who God was. And Judges chapter 2, verses 12 and verse number 14 records for us that there rose up a generation who knew not God and followed not after God. So here you have this, if I can use this word, this quandary. You have this problem. You have this situation where they gave God what we called partial obedience. They only obeyed him in some areas of their life. And so this caused a little heartache for them, a lot of heartache for them, because since they left their enemies, they would become oppressed and enslaved by the enemies of the land. But then, since they didn't teach their children who God was, there would raise up kids who didn't know God, 
worshipped false gods, and led the whole nation astray and away from God. But here's where Judges 2.16 comes in. Even though they were rebellious against God, they had what we called that cyclical relationship. It was very unstable. Even though they had that unstable relationship with God, Judges 2.16, the very first word, what is it? Nevertheless. Nevertheless. What was the nevertheless there for? It basically is saying, nevertheless, God didn't give up on his people. You know, let's be honest today. Every one of us could probably look at shortcomings in our life and ways that we let God down. We could do that. We could, we could probably, probably we could number them. If you can't ask your spouse, they'll number them for you. You know, we, we could say, we could say areas that we've let God down in, but here's the simple truth. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't give up on you? God doesn't say, I'm throwing in the towel. God doesn't say, fine, be that way, I'm done. He doesn't do that. And he didn't do it with the nation of Israel. He brought up judges. The judges would come in. And the judges would deliver God's people from the oppressors or from those who had enslaved them. And, and then the judges would be used to direct the people of God back to God. And so during the years of the judges, people would begin to follow God again. But then when a judge would die, they would, the children of Israel, the people of Israel, they would go back into that precarious relationship with God that they, it would just be up and down. Follow God one week, don't follow him, the, you know, one year, don't follow him the next year. Follow God for 20 years, don't follow him for 30 years. Follow God for seven years, don't follow him for five years. Follow God for 80 years, don't follow him for 15 years. That was, that was their relationship with the Lord. <coughs> And as you, uh, as you and I move through the book of Judges, there's, there's a question that I ask as I'm going through the book of Judges. And that question is simply this, how did the children of Israel get that far? How did they get far to the place where their relationship was so topsy-turvy? And how did they get far enough, let me say it this way, there are places in the book of Judges, like the places we're going to be at today, where you could not even recognize God's people as God's people. People from the out, listen, we're going to read some things today that are heavy. Like we're going to look at them and be like, whoa, like these are God's people doing this? What in the, can I just tell you that they didn't get, they didn't get a distance from God by jumping that far. Do you know how you slowly get away from something? Slowly, I gave you that. If I wanted to get away from Leo, I'm not just going to be like, poof, and way over there. It's one step at a time. Last week, the title of the message with the life of Samson, Judges 13 through 16, was a little does a lot. And we're going to see this tonight, or this morning, that in the life of the children of Israel, when we ask the question, how did they get that far? It wasn't because they just woke up one day and were like, you know, we're going to start doing what we're looking at. We're going to, you know, I'm not telling you what it is yet. We're going to start these atrocities. They didn't just wake up and think that. They woke up one day and thought, you know, I can handle my own decisions today. They woke up the next day and thought, you know, I'm going to worship myself today, not God. They woke up the next day, you know, just keeping a little bit of sin in my life, it's, it's going to be okay. 
And I want you to know that in your life and my life, if we're not careful, we too can be unrecognizable as the people of God. But it doesn't happen overnight. It takes place gradually. And so I don't know about where you're at, but I know where I'm at. I want to protect myself from that. I don't want people to look at my life and say, wow, what a disgrace. Wow, you claim to be, you claim to be a Christian. Oh, you go to church? I don't want people to do that. I want people to be able to look at me and say, yeah, yeah, your, your walk, your life, and your talk matches. Yeah, what you say you are and what you appear to be and what your heart is, it matches. And so today we're going to ask ourselves, how can we protect ourselves from getting to the place that the judges got? We're going to start with one verse, Judges chapter 21, turn there. Let's stand together. Judges 21, I told you Judges 17, I'm sorry, we'll be back there in just a second. Judges 21, and I just want to read uh, just one verse this morning as we get started. Judges chapter number 21, are you there? If you're there, say amen. All right, Judges chapter 21, and the verse is verse number 25. Judges 21, 25, it says this, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I want you to read that verse with me out loud. Ready? Begin. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That is a sad, sad place to be. But every single one of us have been there and will be tempted to go there. So how can we protect ourselves from being there? That's what we're going to answer today. Let's say a word of prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Why don't you take a moment and just in the quietness of your own heart, just ask the Lord to speak to you today. And then make a commitment that as he speaks that you're listening to him. Dear Lord, thank you again for the day. Thank you for the word of God and how it applies to our lives. I want to thank you, Lord, for your mercy, your grace. Thank you for giving to us each and every day. Thank you for being good. And uh, Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of trials, that we can know you're in control. Nothing catches you by surprise and that you know and have a plan in mind for everything that's going to take place. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would, um, that you would use this message today to uh, just reaffirm those truths. I pray again if there's someone in our church that are here this morning that doesn't know for sure that they're going to heaven, I pray that today would be the day that they just come to know you as Savior and that you would work through the message today in the believer's heart and in those who maybe need you. We love you and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <coughs> well, this morning, I know a number of you know this, but uh, in, in our church, uh, while we're meeting in here every Sunday morning, uh, there's uh, some different things taking place. There's the clubhouse kids. Uh, that's downstairs. That's our junior church, uh, kindergarten through sixth grade. Upstairs we have the preschool clubhouse kids. That's, uh, I think, three, four, and five-year-olds that are in there. But right now, probably some of the best people in our church um, are those who work in the nursery. How many nursery workers do we have? Raise your hand, you work in the nursery. Listen, I'm so thankful for you. What a blessing our nursery workers are, and uh, I'm so thankful, uh, number one, uh, because I don't have to do it. Number two, because it, it makes it where we can kind of uh, tune in and stuff like that. It's just a blessing. But you ever been around nursery kids? Man, aren't they adorable? You know that, that age, the nursery is zero to three. 
Aren't they adorable? You got you got the the three four girls right there and little besties, you know, and they just crack me up. And then and uh, right now the uh, Felicity on the end and Adeline right in the middle. Uh, of course, you have Naomi and Hazel on there as well. But Felicity and Adeline, uh, they've got a pastor's secret now. They know that I give kids candy. Now, most of the older kids have kind of caught on, but the younger ones, they're, you know, just now catching on. Well, these two have caught on. And every time they come in the door, they walk in, they see me, they're Adeline, both of them now. They run like, Pastor! They give me a big hug, and then they go, Candy? I'm like, ah, you know. And then Micah comes in. He's like, Pastor! Candy? And I just, I don't know. It's weird. But you know what? With these kids, man, they're, they're adorable. You watch, uh, you watch little Hazel. Uh, Hazel, she just talks up a storm. She's been doing it. Little Naomi, you watch Naomi. Listen, you are Naomi's best friend after you take a lot of time to get to know her. Like around Naomi, the first few months that uh, uh, the Guidals were coming, Naomi would like see me and cry. You know, now we're past that point. Now we're buddies. And these kids are adorable. But um, they're also what my mother would call little demons. You say, why? Because there's an age in the zero to three category that has a nickname. Yeah, you know it. Terrible twos. Why is it? Why is it that the terrible twos are so bad? Listen, the terrible twos, if you were to right now, if we were to go up to the nursery, do you know what we would find in the nursery? Here's what we would find. Here's what you discover in zero to three years old and with the terrible twos. People doing that which is right in their own eyes. That's what they do. You go to the nursery this morning, and I guarantee you, after church, someone's going to have a nursery story from this morning or tonight of their kid bit my kid or their kid pinched my kid or their kid took my kid's toy or my kid beat up your kid. You know, whatever the case is, it's just going to happen. Why? Because in the nursery, even as cute as Adeline and Naomi and Hazel and Felicity are, they are ornery. Their parents are like, you're like, how would you say that to their parents? No, their parents agree with me because they know. What do they do? You know what they do? They'll, they'll look at each other, and Felicity will look over at Adeline playing with a toy, and Felicity just like walks over, looks at Adeline, and goes, mine, and just walks away. It happened the other night. Quinn was around with Hazel, and Fel- Micah was there with Felicity. And Hazel came up, and she was like, my bubbles. And Felicity's like, no, they're my bubbles. And they're like, you know, and Felicity's like, come on, you can do it with me, but they're mine. And Hazel's like, no, they're mine. And you know what happened? You know why they do that? They're doing that which is right in their own eyes. You were there too, and I was there. Here's the problem. I'm not supposed to amen that. Man, now I have to deal with this with you being back. you holding me accountable. Here's the problem with the nursery mentality. Some people never grow out of it. Some people never grow out of it. But I'm not even talking about physically. There's a lot of Christians, so-called, that live with a nursery mentality. What's the nursery mentality? Judges 21:25. There was no king in Israel. 
And so there was a people doing that which was right in their own eyes. I want you to see with me this morning that the children of Israel, they were living in a nursery mentality. Mine! Eh, doing that which is right in their own eyes. How can we protect ourselves from that? Three quick thoughts this morning. Number one, I want you to notice it with me. Take your Bible and go to Judges 17. Judges chapter number 17. Notice the first thought today, that if we are going to avoid the nursery mentality, we must avoid living a self-serving worship. We must avoid a self-serving worship. Judges 17 records the story for us. Listen, we're going to cover 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21, five chapters, but we're going to do it in about 20 minutes. And so you better, you tune in, and I'll try to talk quick, and my 20 minutes will probably turn into like 40, but that's fine. We're going to enjoy the time together. Uh, Avoid self-serving worship. Notice Judges 17, and beginning in verse number 1. The Word of God says this, And there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest, and spakest uh, of also in mine ears, behold, the silver was with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. That does not make any sense. Hey, Mom, uh, you came and you were cursing at me because of someone stealing 1,100 pieces of silver. I took it. Well, God bless you. That's like the parent that's like, that's not my kid's fault. I have video evidence of your child doing, well, no. No, that, that's apparently been tampered with. That's who Micah's mom is. She's that mom. It gets worse. <clears throat> not my Micah. Hannah's not this way, this Micah, just so you know. And when he had restored the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son. She said, hey, I'm so glad you gave that back. I had dedicated it to the Lord. Okay, well, oh, that's great. No, listen. I dedicated it to the Lord to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I restored unto thee the... um, the mom says, now I'll give it back to you. And, the, and, and Micah says, I'll give it back to you. Yet he restored the money unto his mother. And his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the founder who made thereof a graven image and a molten image. And they were in the house. And the man Micah had an house of gods and made an ephod and teraphim and consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. But there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. And he sojourned there. He came and he, he's moving and abiding here. Now, I'll stop right there. And I want to tell you a summary real quick of Judges 17 and 18. You have Micah, this man from Ephraim. His mom comes to him and says, hey, someone stole 1,100 pieces of silver from me. And, and she's cursing him up, cursing her son up one, di- up one side and down another. And uh, he comes back to her the next day, hey, mom. And he's not like a little kid. He has grown children. So this is like, you know, a 60 or 70, you know, a 50 or 60-year-old coming to his mom. Hey, mom, the 1,100 pieces of silver that you spoke about, um, I stole them. I'm sorry. Blessed art thou, son. You're, so, you're such a blessing to me. I was going to make a graven image. And he says, well, I was going to make a graven image. And she's, you know, going back and forth. She, she says, you go ahead and keep them. But it reads, yet Micah restored him to his mom. He gave him back to his mom. She takes 200 of them, 
and she goes and she builds idols. She builds idols. Her talk and her walk don't match up. Her talk says, blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. I had dedicated this to the Lord. Her action says, I'm involved in false worship. Worshiping idols. The word of God tells us we don't do that. Uh, God said, I am the only God. Thou shalt have no graven image before me, no idol before me. Just go back to Exodus and find that in the Ten Commandments. And God wrote that to the people of Israel. Well, Micah does this. He sets up a house of gods. And then a few days later, a few days later, a man comes by. This man is a Levite. A Levite would be the Levitical priest. They would be the priestly line. And this man, this Levite comes by. And as he comes by, uh, uh, he meets with, uh, with Micah, and I'm just going to summarize what takes place from 17 to 18. He comes in, and Micah meets him, and Micah says, hey, what's your name? And he tells him his name, and he says, well, what are you doing here? He says, well, I'm a Levite, and, and I'm just kind of passing through. And Micah says, oh, you're a Levite? Levitical priest, the, the priest line. He says, well, how about you come and you be my spiritual leader? Why don't you be my spiritual leader? I'll give you 10 shekels. Uh, I think it's 10 shekels a week. And I'll, and I'll give you a change of clothes, a place to live, and I'll give you some food. The Bible says that the Levite, he was like, yeah, cool, I'll be your spiritual leader. He had no right being the spiritual leader. Just because he was from the Levitical line does not mean that he was uh, chosen by God to lead someone spiritually. But here's how we know that. Because do you know why he le- how he leads Micah? He leads him by saying, oh, hey, Micah, you know your house of images? Let's worship in there. Let's worship these images. And so this is taking place. Chapter 18. A group from the tribe of Dan. Five men. They're driving. They're driving. <laughs> they're driving their camel axe. I haven't used that one in like over a year. Come on. They're, they're, they're riding and they come into town, these Danites. They're searching for a place to, uh, to move their, their uh, uh, city to. They've kind of been uh, overrun, don't have all their land. There's a bunch there in Judges 18. But they come and they, they come to the house of Micah. And they, they stay the night kind of in that, that area. And as they're there in the area, the Bible tells us that they recognize the voice of the Levite. And they're like, oh, man, that's a Levite. They come to him, hey, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm the personal spiritual leader for, uh, for Micah. He says, oh, well, oh, okay. They leave, these Danites do. They come back through on a war path to go north to a place called Laish and to conquer the northern part. I think we have that slide. Do you have that on there, Micah? So they're, they're, they're in the south. Dan, Dan would be uh, down here by Ephraim. And they're going to travel up north by the Sea of Galilee, furthest north, northernmost point of the, uh, the northern kingdom, Laish. They're traveling through Ephraim by Micah's house again. Now this is not just the five. This is a whole group. They come through. They knock on the door. No one's home. They remember the, grow, the, the idols and stuff like that. So they start robbing Micah. They start stealing stuff. The Levite priest comes out. He's like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, hey, you need to get in on this. In on what? What would be better? Would you rather be the spiritual leader of one man in his household or an entire people group, an entire city? Why don't you become, come be our spiritual leader? And I forget the verse. I think it's a funny verse. I'm going to find it real quick. Judges 18 and uh, verse number 20. 
right after they said this. And the priest's heart was glad. And he took the ephod and teraphim and graven image and went in the midst of the people. You say, why is that funny? Okay, they're stealing. Hey, why don't you join us and you can be our priest? And he's like, sweet. Can I help carry stuff? His heart was glad. Yeah, awesome. I'll pick this up and I'll grab this. Hey, I know where the secret stuff is. Let's grab that too. I know where the safe is. Let's go in there. And he just betrays his newfound friend Micah and goes and serves the Danites. The Danites move up north. Micah, go to that next picture. I think it's on there. Danites move up north. This is a, um, an area in Israel we were at last year. And uh, it's uh, great to have some guests that were with us on our trip last year. You guys raise your hand real quick. Two sisters that were with us. And uh, um, uh, Miriam and uh, um, Elmira. And uh, they were a blessing last year. We got to know them. They came up. They came up today just to be at our church. All the way from Florida. I was like, are you vacationing? They were like, no, we just wanted to come to your church. I think they're lying, but <laughs> I haven't got that yet. But we were all in Israel last year and took this picture. This is the, the, the Danites. This is where the Danites would have been. And uh, they set up false gods there and go to the next one. They set up places of worship there. And this would be one that was set up during King Jeroboam and First Kings uh, during the reign of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. But uh, the Danites in Judges chapter 18 actually set the foundation for all of this. And so you look, okay, we look at it and we say, all right, cool, Pastor. That's an interesting story. I mean, this guy and his Levite and the Danites come. They steal all his images. What is the point? Here's the point. These are supposed to be the people of God. They're supposed to be worshiping God. But you know what they made? They made a religion that was self-serving. They made a religion, they made a worship system that was self-gratifying. They did some things that now instead of their worship being about the Lord, their worship was about appeasing their conscience. Worship became a matter of convenience and appeasing their own conscience. That's where they were at. That's where the children of Israel were at. And you look at this, Micah and the Danites, they are turning to idols. Why? They're turning away from God. Now, I want us to see this this morning. If you go all the way back to Judges chapter number 2, do you know what the Bible says? That there arose a generation who knew not God and followed not after God. This is the generation. What were they doing? They were following after a self-gratifying worship. They were following after a self-serving worship. And here's where it got them. It got them to the place that now we're looking at this. They're creating images. They're robbing from each other. They're paying people to represent them to God. Question, does that look like God's people? No. Unrecognizable. They're at this place where I, I kind of look at this and I thought, you know what Micah and the Danites were doing? They were looking at the Levite as like a good luck charm. Oh. Man, if, oh, if, we have a Le if I have a Levite living in my house, surely God will like me. The Danites, oh, if we have a Levite with us, oh, for sure the hand of God will be upon us. Now, it was like a little good luck thing for them. Now, what does this have to do with us? Let me just tell you that we may not ever set up an altar and hire a Levite, say that we want him to be our spiritual leader, but we do often make our worship about convenience rather than our relationship. Sometimes Christians can look at 
things within their Christian life as a good luck charm. We almost live superstitiously in our Christianity thinking this, well, if I don't carry my Bible, God won't like me today. We think, oh, man, if I'm not at church, God's going to punish me this week. I better get my one hour in. Pastor preached long today. I better get my one hour and 30 minutes in. Man, I, I better give to God. If I don't give, God's not going to give to me. And we almost have these I will if you will worship, that, that worship mentality. That's where they were. Do you know what led them to be unrecognizable as the people of God? Because they started a self-serving worship. They were gratifying their own conscience, appeasing their own conscience, and looking to their relationship with God as a good luck thing, as hopefully he likes me enough. They were more interested in feeling good about themselves than they were in being close to God. And there, listen, there are a lot of Christians who are like that today. Christians who are more interested in being able to, quote, pillow my head with a clear conscience rather than pillow my head loving God more. There's, there's Christians more interested in that. I'm going to go to church because it appeases my conscience rather than going to church because I love God. I'm going to read my Bible in the morning because if I don't, God might frown upon me today rather than I'm going to read the Word of God in the morning because this is His love letter to me. I'm going to pray about this situation because if I don't pray about it, then God will not work like I want him to work. He won't be my genie if I don't word things this way. He won't, do, he won't move these mountains if I don't make the faith statement like the Bible says to say it this way. And we begin to appease our own conscience rather than worship God in, in, in holiness and in truth and with righteousness and with that love behind us. And can I just help us understand something that the Word of God tells us that you and I should avoid Avoid this mentality. Avoid self-serving worship. Instead, have love-based worship. The reason you and I should do what we do is because we love God. That's why, we should, that's why you should get up in the morning and want to be a good spouse. That's why you should wake up tomorrow and this week and say, I want to be the best employee at my, at my workplace this week. I want to have good communication with people this week. I want to make sure that I'm able to give to the Lord this week. I'm not doing those things because I'm trying to appease myself or find some sort of acceptance with God. Well, if I don't, then he will. No, 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 no. I do those things. Why? Because I love him. That should be the motivator in a Christian's life. You think about one of the best verses on this is 2 Corinthians and chapter number 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died and, uh, for them and rose again. Listen, you and I should make our Christianity about God and about God alone. That should be the sole, re the sole reason you do what you do as a Christian is because you love God. Not because you're trying to appease your own conscience. But let's be honest. We all fall into a self-serving worship. It's easy to fall there. It's easy to come to the place where my relationship with God is more about clear conscience than it is about being close. I want to tell you this morning we should avoid self-serving worship. Secondly, we should avoid sinful desires. Let me just tell you right now, I'm not going to do all of it. Judges 19 through 21. Judges 19 through 21. 
You go and you read it sometime. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize it for you. But as a reader, when you move into Judges 19 through 21, I find myself reading one of the most disturbing and sad places in the entire book of Judges. Let me just give you the first four verses. Go to Judges 19. Judges 19. Verse 1, and it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim. This is another story, another Levite, who took to him a concubine out of, the Beth, out of Bethlehem, Judah. And his concubine played the whore against him and went away from him unto her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four whole months. And her husband arose and went after her to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again, uh, excuse me, bring her again, having his servants with him. And a couple of asses in uh, verse, verse 3, the middle part. And she, and she brought him unto, into her father's house. And when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. And his father-in-law, the damsel's father, retained him. And he abode with him three days. So uh, they did eat and drink and lodge there. All right. Judges 19, 1 through 4, starts the story of this Levite and his concubine or his wife. Okay, so... Uh, the word concubine that's used in this passage, multiple wives, but this would be one of his wives, essentially. And so, now again, it wasn't even taught in the Old Testament. Some people like to, you know, there's a certain religious group that like to say, well, you know, the Bible teaches that you can have multiple spouses. Number one, you're crazy. Because multiple spouses means multiple in-laws. <laughs> Just kidding, I have great in-laws. Number two, multiple spouses means multiple spouses. Number three, multiple spouses means multiple aneurysms. Number four, mo- I, never mind, we won't keep going. So it wasn't taught in the word of God, but this man's practicing this, multiple spouses. So here's the story, Judges 19 through 21. You ready to be blown away? Here's what it is. This man and his wife, she leaves him. She commits an adulterous relationships upon, you know, against him for four months. She ends back up at her dad's, at her dad's place. He goes down, this man, this Levite, he goes down. And again, these, these are supposedly the people of God. Okay, let's all remember that. Bethlehem, Judah. Uh, do you know where that is? That's where Jesus was born. That's where this lady's from. So she goes back to her dad's house, Bethlehem, Judah. She's there. He comes a few months later. You know, he finds out where she is. He goes back to her. He meets the father-in-law, which he hadn't met before, apparently. And he gets acquainted with him. And the father-in-law says, hey, I like this guy. Why don't you stick around and let's, let's, uh, let's party it up for a few days. And so they partied up for a few days. And then the Levite's like, hey, I got to get going. And they gets up one day. And the dad's like, no, 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 let's hang out today. And so they hang out that day. And this goes on for about three or four days. Finally, one day it gets to the afternoon. And they, the Levite's like, I've really got to get going. Packs up his wife and his servants, and he goes on his way. As they're traveling, 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 with a V, not a B. As they're traveling, they come to a couple places, and the servant's like, hey, we should rest here. He's like, no, 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 we want to go. Let's go to Gibeah or Ramah. Let's go down here. So they go to the town of Gibeah. They go into Gibeah, and in Gibeah, they couldn't find a hotel to lodge in or anybody's house at that time. If you're traveling, you're a Jew, you'd be kind of just go knock doors. Hey, you guys got room for us? And stay at a stranger's house, and that was very common. They couldn't find a place to stay, so they pitch a tent in, in the middle of town. In comes another sojourner, a man who had been living in Gibeah but wasn't from Gibeah. He's from Ephraim, the same place as this Levite, and he comes in, and he sees the tent. He walks up and says, hey, what are you guys doing here? They say, oh, well, we're just staying the night. We're from Ephraim, heading back up. He says, oh, me too. Don't stay in the street. You guys come to my house. They say, okay. They go to his house. They go in. They get in bed. They hear a knock on the door. You know, it's one knock. 
They hear banging at the door. They go, they, the, the owner of the house opens the door. It's a bunch of the people from Gibeah. And they say, hey, the guests that were in here, give them to us. And you need to give them to us so that we may know them. Now, let me just tell you about the Bible word know in this context. It means physically, sexually. Give, so men saying, give us that man so we can molest him and give us these guests so we can be involved physically with them. Okay. That's horrible. But it gets worse. Because the Levite says, no, no, no. Don't, or not the Levite, the owner of the house. He says, no, don't, don't do that to the Levite. I have, a, I have a wife, or I have a, uh, yeah, I have a wife and he has a wife. Or I have a daughter, excuse me. I have a daughter and he has a wife. Take them and do with them as you please. Listen, this is in the Bible. And that is mind-blowing. Here's my daughter and here's my, here's my spouse and here's my daughter. You can know them physically. They say no. No, we don't want that. We want him. The owner of the house says, no, 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 no. Here's this man's wife. They go and they molest her all night. Okay, she comes back to the house and she dies at the doorstep of the house. The man gets up to leave. The Levite, he opens the door. There's his wife dead on the doorstep. He gets the body. This is still in the Bible. He gets the body. He goes back to his home. When he gets home, he dismembers the body to 12 pieces. And he sends all 12 pieces to the 12 tribes of Israel to record what take place, what took place. Many of the tribes of Israel, they're like, oh, this, is, this is horrible. This shouldn't happen. Well, duh. Let's all meet. They meet together, some leaders and this man. Hey, tell us what happened. He tells them what happened. They say, well, let's go to war against Gibeah. Let's go wipe them out. Let's go to the tribe of Benjamin where Gibeah was, and let's tell them to give us the, the, the bad men from Gibeah. They go to Benjamin, and Benjamin, the tribe leader, said, no. No, we're not giving you the people of our town. And so then the, all these groups of the 11 tribes, they say, let's just, let's just wipe them off the face of the map. Let's just go to war. So they come up with this battle plan, and then they pray. They come up with a battle plan, they're going to attack, and then they're like, oh, by the way, hey, God, what do you think about all this? Who should go? Well, God, in his grace, he responds, ah, send this group first. That group goes in, the tribe of Benjamin slaughters them. They come back to God. God, we thought that you told us to have them go first. God's like, I did. Send these guys. Those guys go. It's a massacre again. Finally, God says, all right, I'll deliver the tribe of Benjamin. I'll deliver them into your hand. They go and they kill them. Not all of them. They leave 600 men alive. But then they're like, oh, no, we've killed all these people, but now we're going to lose a tribe. What group of our people didn't go to war with us? Oh, it was Jabesh Gilead. Oh, okay, let's find 400 girls from Jabesh Gilead, kill everybody else from Jabesh Gilead, and give the 400 to the 600. That way we don't lose a tribal line. This is in the Bible. This happens. They do all of this. And that's how the book of Judges ends. It's no wonder that the last verse is Judges 21-25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, let me summarize all of this by simply saying a thought. They didn't, I mean, would you recognize all of those actions? Those are atrocities. They are disgusting. 
they are disturbing on so many levels. I mean, people here, like, maybe this is, like, your first time at church, and you're like, hmm, never knew that was in the Bible. This is all kind of weird. No, God put it in there for a purpose. I'm a pastor, and I look at it and think, this is kind of weird. But God put it in for a purpose. Why did God put it in for us? I think one of the reasons is simply this. They didn't end up as an unrecognizable people simply because they woke up and thought, you know, I'm going to give my wife to all these men and then let her die and then divide her up. It wasn't he woke up one day and thought all that. It was he kept a little bit of sin in his life. And that little bit of sin grew. And that little bit of sin grew. And that little sin compacted. And pretty soon you found out, like we did last week with, with Samson, a little does a lot. They had an unrecognizable belief, an unrecognizable relationship with God because they had committed these atrocities. But that is not the root reason. The root reason is because they allowed themselves to get away from God. And if you're like me, you would say, how could God's people stoop that low? How could they get that far? They embraced sin. And the horrific sinful behavior was a result of them allowing just a little sin in their life. Can I tell you what the book of wisdom says about that? The book of Proverbs. He that covereth his sins, Proverbs 28, 13, shall not prosper. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. You want to know how these people of Israel got to the place where they were living out an absolutely disgraceful existence before God? It's because they allowed sinful behavior to stay small and grow and grow and grow and grow. Can we learn from them this simple thought? Don't allow a sin focus to control your thinking. You want to you have a recognizable Christianity? Avoid self-serving worship, but avoid sinful desires. Say no. Say no. The Bible says that sin is pleasant for a season. You know what comes after that season? Heartbreak. And I can't tell you how many people sit in my office and say, Pastor, I, how did I end up here? And they do the work and look back and say, oh, it started with that decision. It started with this small thing. Avoid sinful, de- sinful desires. Thirdly, avoid stalled repentance. Avoid stalled repentance. <coughs> Very quick thought with this point. You know the children of Israel, they often knew, listen, They knew that they had sin in their life, and they failed to get it right with God. They knew that they were at fault before God, and they waited and waited and waited and waited to get it right. Can I tell you what I heard as a teenager? A pastor said this one time. He said, keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. Don't ever come to the place where you're like, oh, man, the account list of sin before God I feel like it's pages long. You guys remember the old copy machine paper and fax machine paper? You know, it was all woven together and you flip it out. That's the kind of records that some people keep before God. And before we get right with the Lord, we stall in our repentance. We wait and we wait and we wait until, until we have this compounded problem in our life that started with something small. And so let me just show you real quick the last part of Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Can I tell you this today? Be quick to be right with God. 
Proverbs 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. The Lord will not hear me. Don't, don't hold sin in your life. Avoid the mentality of stalled repentance. I don't have time to belabor the point. But you go back and you look at the entire book of Judges. The children of Israel, they knew. They knew we have sin before God. They knew we need to get right. And yet they didn't. There's a lot of Christians that have that in their life. We know at times. We know. We know there's a hidden compartment of our heart that God doesn't own. And yet we fail to get right. As we look at the book of Judges, we find these people of God not even recognizable as the people of God. They're living in godless worship. They're committing atrocities that are unthinkable. They're holding sin in their life and just kind of continuing like things are okay. They're they're not recognized as the people of God because they've distanced themselves from God. But can I give you the root cause that I believe? And it's listed in Judges 18.6. And Judges 21, 25, here's the root cause. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Do you know what they had done? They had made them, themselves, king of their life instead of Jehovah God. Rewind. Why had God brought them into the promised land? So that they'd find fulfillment in him. God had brought them there to complete them. God had brought them to the promised land so that they could show the world how wonderful he was. God had brought them there so that they could experience the life that God had for them. But you know what they did? They finally got in the promised land and they said, I'll be my own king, God. Thank you. I've got this. And you know what they did? They allowed their own hearts to lead their own lives rather than the heart of a loving father. So let me tell you today, if you want to keep yourself from ending up like the children of Israel did, if you want to keep yourself from being at the place where you have an unrecognizable Christianity, avoid a self-serving worship. Don't make your relationship with God about pleasing your mind. Make it about loving God. If if you do that, you need to avoid that, and that's going to help. We need to avoid sinful desires. If there's sin in your life, get it out. And then that last thought that we just looked at, we need to make sure that we are avoiding. Let me find my notes and pull it back up. Avoiding that stalled repentance, excuse me. Avoid the stalled repentance. But then let me give you very quickly tonight, or this morning, one last thought as to how you can keep yourself from there. Be aware of the Savior pursuing do you know what brought the children of Israel? I don't have time to to, uh, work it all up. If you go into Judges 1 through 21, the whole book, do you know when the people of Israel really turned to God? It was when a judge showed up on the scene and said, God loves you. God cares for us. God's purposes are right for us. God's want fulfillment for us. God wants us to be out from underneath the oppression, and God delivered his people, but he was pursuing them the whole time. The whole time the book of Judges tells us that they were reminded about a loving God who pursued them in his grace and in his mercy. Can I just tell you, if you want to avoid living in the nursery mentality, you want to avoid this nursery mentality, doing that which is right in your own eyes, 
you must continually be aware of the ever-loving and pursuing grace of God. God's love is the only real motivation that will find fulfillment in him. And when we recognize his love for us, it's a lot easier to love him. Because when we love him, we can yield our heart to him. We can trust him in the unknown. We can find ourselves avoiding sin. We find ourselves putting less complication in our worship. All of it boils back down to he's pursuing me. He loves me. He wants relationship with me. I can want that relationship with him. We must avoid the nursery mentality. Avoid being king of your own life. Instead, recognize that God's pursuing you and he wants you to be close to him. He wants you to find fulfillment in him and in your relationship with him. He wants you to experience the life that he has in store for you and that walk with him. And as believers in the 21st century, we need to avoid the nursery mentality. Don't allow yourself to get to the place where you're so far from God that your Christianity is unrecognizable. Where someone would look from the outside and say, no, they're not a people of God. There's two types of people in the book of Judges. The people of Israel and the judges. The people were up and down, up and down, up and down. Some of the judges were. But most of the judges, you know what they did? They said, I'm going to be the difference maker. They were one that stepped up and said, I'm going to confront wickedness. They stepped up and said, I'm going to point people back to him. They stepped up and said, I'm going to lead others into a healthy relationship with God. And I love how one man summarized the entire book of Judges. It's this way. They were bold enough in a godless generation where everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. They were bold enough to believe what God said, to take God at his word and confront the enemy. And that's what they did. They were not the nursery crowd. They were the judges used by God. And so I want to ask you this week, what type of Christian are you going to be? You're going to be one that's living that Israelite life just up and down, up and down, up and down? Or are you going to be one that says, I'm avoiding, I'm avoiding the nursery mentality? How do we avoid the nursery mentality? Well, we avoid that stalled relationship, avoid keeping sin in our life. And then we've got to avoid having that self-serving worship. Instead, be aware that God's pursuing you. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.